0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Hey, I want you to do me a favor. Look to the person to your left and look to the person to your right. This is a young group of people. If you're, at me, if you're as old as me or older, we're the old people. I am very rarely the old people in the room. But I have to tell you, they said that uh, students, young people, aren't, aren't uh, loving Jesus anymore. We were told that the gospel is dying. Well, I got news for you. The gospel ain't never dying. There are people all over the world... There are people who are old and there are people who are young who are believing the message of the resurrected Christ Jesus. Because of that, though, there is an increase in persecution. Now, this is not something that should surprise us. This is not something that is new. This is not something that should catch us by off guard because Jesus said very clearly in John 15, He said, look, the world hated me and therefore... They're going to hate you. In Matthew, he said, don't be surprised when persecution comes. Why? Because the gospel is offensive. The gospel is good news. And we have to believe that wherever there's good news, there's somebody who wants to kill it. So this morning, the message that I want to share with you out of Acts chapter 4 is this. It's how we can stand in the midst of persecution. Now, there are those who are looking at the events of the day just within the last seven days and who are shocked and they're in disbelief that in the United States of America what we've seen is actually happening. And they're surprised because there was this belief that we have lived with for so long that that might happen across the ocean, that might happen in Sri Lanka, or that might happen in some in, in other parts of Asia or Europe, but it won't happen here because of our founding fathers and what they believed in. But here's what we know. The United States always tends to follow what happened in Europe. I mean, if you can just look at history, and you can see that, that we're just kind of 20 or 30 years behind. And if you look in Europe, by the way, that's where the Protestant Reformation happened. Germany used to be where the greatest scholars of the Scriptures came from, where the theologians and where the pastors who shaped the world where we're living. And today, in Germany and in England and in, in other in France, you you find a vast emptiness in terms of spiritual leadership. Not that there's not any there. Oh, there is spiritual leaders there. There are God is moving there. But what you find is a radically different culture there than what you had just a hundred years before. And a hundred years before they'd have said, this will never change, but it did. And in America, you're finding the same thing. In fact, about 15 years ago when I came to First Baptist Church, I started talking about what's known as a post-Christian culture. And I got a lot of folks who looked at me and said, that, that's not going to happen here. Post-Christian, what, 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 what the heck is that anyways? Well, post-Christian means that, that you're beyond uh, Christianity. In other words, we've tried it, didn't work, now we move on to something else. And, and and folks would say, well, wait a minute, that'll never happen here because of our foundation, because of, of who we are as a people. Well, let me just read to you some of the headlines. Uh, from a website that I try to frequent somewhat regularly. Uh, it's a website called Christian Post. I don't know if you look at that. Um, l- let me just give you the top stories, okay? U.S. Christians increasingly departing from core truths of Christian worldview, survey finds. Um, church gathering bans mask. Um uh, da, 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 here we go. Um, court, California court issues temporary restraining order against church for holding indoor services. Um, if you just look at the look at the headlines, what you will find is that every single day something else arises that is looking more and more like real persecution for believers in Jesus. Now, let me be clear. We've talked about being persecuted for a long time. When I say we, I'm talking about Christians in general. But but I don't want to make light of it, but quite frankly, a lot of what we have said was persecution was, was really just uh, very easy. Like, for instance, we might come out and say, Oh, we're being so persecuted. They said Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas to me at Walmart. Oh, we're so persecuted. I mean... Seriously, Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas is not quite biblical persecution. Or, uh, they, 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 they uh, started T-ball practice on Wednesday nights. See, most of y'all don't have no idea what I'm talking about, right? But at one point, that was considered persecution. And again, I don't want to make light of that because that was just one step in, in a progression of our culture moving away from the core, God, the core foundational truths of, of, of what we're built upon. But now the headlines are these. Let me go back to the one that I read. California court issues temporary restraining order against church for holding indoor services. You can look that up yourself. I also posted it on our Facebook page. But here's essentially what happened. Um, a, a city in Ventura County, um, California, declared that churches could not meet unless they met very small, restricted guidelines of how many could meet. Well, one particular church, it's called Godspeed Calvary Chapel, or excuse me, Godspeak Calvary Chapel. They, they abode, abided, ab, ab, they, they followed the restrictions to a point, and then they said, look, we cannot continue limping along like this. Given what we know about this virus, given what we know about our community, given what we know about uh, what we're doing to be safe... We're going to start meeting. And so they met, and there was an emergency order that was, that was given by the city that says, you cannot meet. Now, I want you to listen to this. In the United States of America, a city government said to a church, you may not meet to worship. Now, that should cause us to go, wait a minute. Isn't there something in our Constitution about that? But it should also cause us to step back and say, okay, if that, then what? And here's the discrepancy. You cannot meet, but liquor stores are essential. Abortion providers are essential. Other entertainment providers are essential. But the church is dangerous because you sing. And if you sing, you could be getting somebody sick. Now look, I don't want to go into all of the the facts about those things, because that's not the point. My only point here is this. Governments are starting to tell churches what they can and cannot do, and in many cases, it is specifically against churches and not everybody else. Here's the danger. The danger is that the church will either just willfully obey or the church will take on the mantle of not obeying and then suffer the consequences for it. This pastor, I ha- I don't know him, I- I've never talked with him, but I have great respect. His name is Pastor Rob McCoy, and here's what he did. He got online on uh, two days ago, I guess, on the 7th, and he posted an 11-minute video, and he shared his conviction. And here's what he did. He said, with great great uh, humility and with great kindness in his words, he said, we are forced to choose between getting a misdemeanor charge against us or gathering together to worship. He said, we want to obey the law, but in this matter, we are being forced to obey God more so than the city. And so right this moment, this city is going to have to... Like like literally right now, they are deciding. I I wish we could go live and just watch it. But right now, they are deciding whether or not they will be at that church issuing a citation for ev- not just the pastor, but every single person who showed up to worship today. today. Right now, it's happening. There's another church, John MacArthur, big name. Everybody, everybody knows him. I, I love his commentary set. He came out this past week and said the same thing. He said, "Look, we're not going to stop meeting any longer. We've got to get back to meeting together. It's the, we are the people of God. It's what we do." And he had to go against his city government in Las Vegas. There was a church again, same thing in Las Vegas. Churches are not allowed to meet, but casinos can stay open. Wait a minute. Because in casinos, you're safe, maybe from all the smoke. Maybe the smoke kills the virus or something. You ever been in a casino? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. You're very lucky if you have. I mean, just kidding. So you So so one church said, okay, we're not allowed to meet as a church. Great. We'll just rent a casino. And so right now, in a casino, they're meeting as the church because... They are now suddenly okay to do that because it's a casino and not a church. Does this make any sense? Here's what I'm saying. There is coming a time, and indeed the time is here, that the church is going to be living out the words of Jesus. The world hated me. The world will hate you as well. Our real question today is, how are we going to live in the midst of it? What are we going to do now? that this is a reality on our soil, not a strange thing by any stretch of the imagination across the ocean on their soil. If you want to see some of the suffering of believers, follow the voice of the martyrs. I read a story just this morning of a young woman who was was walking into her her, uh, church building in Sri Lanka. A car drove through the gate and was ignited by an explosion that had been preset, And it exploded right there at the church building. It killed several people. It burned this woman 80% of her body. And she's been suffering from the, the mangled disfiguration from that blast since that time until now. And still she says... God be praised. Or we could look at the list of 30 Nigerians that were killed just in the last 24 hours in Burkina Faso. Or we could go on and on and on. So what do we do in the midst of what we are facing as well? Acts chapter 4 is the story, is the the history, the written documentation of the first persecution of the church. Up until this time there was opposition against Christ Jesus but this is the first document this is the first persecution of the church itself the priest verse 1 the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus uh, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead they seized Peter and John And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So let's set the stage here, okay? Verses 1 through 4 give us the the beginning of this story. So Peter and John were in the temple. They were proclaiming Jesus as the resurrected Christ. They were speaking of the power of God. And it came on the heels, remember in in chapter 3, it came on the heels of a man who was lame from birth. And at over 40 years old, he was healed from never being able to walk. And suddenly, he could walk and leap and dance and all those other things. And so the people were looking and and, and they they were starting to believe this message. Some believed, some didn't. And the Bible says that the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter. Now, that, that, that phrase, came up to, actually is a, is a very intense phrase in the original language of the Bible. It means that they suddenly appeared. They came out of nowhere. They basically swamped and mobbed Peter and John. Like Peter and John were just sitting here talking, and then out of nowhere, these, this crowd of people busted through and surrounded him. It basically was the first cancel culture. That's essentially what they were doing. They were, you know, we're going we're gonna to surround you, we're going to block you. Shh, no more, you can't say anything else. Why? Well, because of who they were. I'm going to take a break right here. Somebody with the power to do so, will you turn the air conditioner on in this place? I see some waving. And you're making... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking how hot I am too. My goodness. That I think was a, a, a lightning thing too because it, 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 it was fine and then it changes. So, um, And so let me tell you who these people were. So it was the priest and the captain of the guard. And then we find that um, it was the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law. So there were spiritual leaders... In in uh, in at the temple in these times, you had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, you had the Essenes, and you had the Zealots. They were basically the four groups of people. Now, the Sadducees and the Pharisees—they were the two main groups, and they were opposed to each other. See, the Sadducees were the aristocrats; they were the ones who were the elite. They had the money, they had the power, and they did not believe in the oral tradition. They only believed in the written Old Testament scripture. Now, the Pharisees were different. They believed not just in the Old Testament Scripture, but they also believed in the interpretation or the oral tradition of the Scripture. And so their understanding of the Scripture was expounded from from generations of of, uh, priests before them, right? And so the two groups, were it's like having uh, Pentecostals and Baptists, or Methodists and Church of Christ. It was like, you know, they were on the same team, but, or they were on the same ball field, but they were different teams, right? So they had this thing against them. But even though they did not like each other so much, they, they made it work. Because each of them got what they needed politically and socially and power-wise from their positions. The thing that they wanted the least was disruption to their system, though. What the Sadducees did not want was a disruption to their system, because a disruption to their system was a disruption in their power. And the truth is, the message that Peter and John were preaching was a disruption to their system. Why? Because they were preaching a key tenet of the faith Uh, or of the Christian faith. And that is that Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, and then rose again. We've said it over and over and over. Without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. It means nothing. Anybody can serve a dead religious leader, right? Anybody can claim to be speaking for God. But when you claim to speak for God and then you say before you're killed, hey, I'm going to be killed, and three days later I'm going to rise from the dead... And then three days later, you rise from the dead. You suddenly have great power in the words that you've spoken because you've just done what nobody else could ever do, right? You've defeated the most powerful entity on the planet that is that was ever there, and that is death. Death is final unless you're Jesus. And so the message that was being preached that was, that was ruling, that was rocking people's world is this, that Jesus is risen from the dead, and it's this resurrection power that healed a lame man. And it's this resurrection power that can can set people free from disease or set people free from addiction or set people free from all kinds of things that break the human person. And so the Sadducees surrounded him, these two, and because it was night, their, their laws wouldn't let them have a trial right then. It's interesting, isn't it, how, how the religious leaders would, would work within the law, but they would bend it just enough to get what they wanted. They did that with Jesus as well. They did that with Paul. They, they, would, they would try to stay just enough within the rules, and yet break the rules when they had to, to get what they wanted to do. It's not unlike some of the things that happen today in our culture, is it? Let's just break... Anyways, let's not go there. Yeah, I understand you understand. Um... So they put him in jail overnight. Now, why was this a temple guard issue? It was a temple guard issue because the Romans realized that the temple was a holy place. The Temple Mount was a place that the Romans tried to stay away from. So they gave the the Jews the the ability to self-govern in that place. And as long as they kept things in order, the Romans would stay out. The Sadducees said, look, we got to keep things in order because we want them to stay out. And you see how it was all based on how do we keep things just like they are instead of seeing that a man who was lame from birth is now living? How can we get this to everybody else? The next day, verse 5, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. The high priest was there, Annas, as was uh, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest's family. This was a royal gathering. All of the people of power were there. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. And here was the question that they asked. By what power or what name did you do this? In other words, who gave you authority to make this man well. On whose authority did you speak? And we'll find out here in a little bit that they were confused about this because they were not educated men. They were fishermen. Remember Peter? What did he do? He was a fisherman. Now, I didn't just say that fishermen aren't educated. I was saying that Peter was an uneducated man. All he did was fish. I know some educated fishermen. I might happen to be one. So you, you understand, right? but but they, they were looking at these two men and they were confused because the great power that they saw was not typical of who they were. They were surprised. It it, it, it would be like um, it would be like seeing a, a, a person who was dressed shabbily. Is that right? Shabbily dressed. It'd be someone who who who, who maybe looked like they were not kept well speak great philosophies. You're you're going, man, this is is a little different, because I expect, right, because in our minds we have something different. That's what was going on with them. They were thinking, how is this possible? And the question was, by whose power, in whose name, did you do this? Last week we talked about it, and the week before, and the week before. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. So how do you stand in the face of persecution? Number one, remember in whose name you have believed. You and I have got to be convinced that Jesus is who He said He is. You and I have got to be convinced, not just here, but here, that the name of Jesus is all-powerful in every way. Think of it this way. The name of Jesus was given by God to Jesus. He said to Joseph, and you will name him Jesus. You will call him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, right? It means our God saves, the Lord saves. And and so by God giving him the name, he was giving him also the purpose of his existence, salvation. And Peter and John knew that that name was power. Um... I, I told this story earlier. I, I, I hope my grandmother isn't watching. Because my grandmother used to have a dog. Her name was Missy. Of course, my grandmother called her Missy. We just called the dog Satan. I mean, this dog, I'm telling you, nobody loved this dog. I mean, we endured this dog because because of our granny. But but this dog literally was a little demon. She even bit her her... her she even bit granny. I mean... Tripper, all kinds. just this little old dog. And this dog, when you would drive up, she'd... right, this big, but feels this big, right? But then when you walked up to the house, the dog would kind of, kind of shimmer, uh, uh, get a little bit smaller, but then the dog would regain power and get even bigger because she would run back and around and stand in between the feet of my grandma. And somehow or another, having grandma... Covering the dog, the dog became a lion. <laughs> Roar, which was really like a, but to the dog, it was like, right? And every time I saw that, I don't know if it was the Lord or my own imagination, but I had this thought. That dog just got courage because of who the dog was standing under. Because in the dog's mind, Granny is God. And every time I saw that, I was reminded to my, of, my, uh, of my own self saying, you know what, I can bark all the time, but when I'm faced with real difficulty, with real persecution, with real struggle, when I run back underneath the shelter of the Most High, when I rest in the shadow of the Almighty, I become a lion because I know in whom I have believed. Jesus Christ, the name above every other name. I believe that what John and Peter recognized, and I would say this is the first thing we need to recognize, we need to know that Jesus is who He says He is. He's not just another prophet. He's not just another man. He's not just another story, uh, character in the story of the Bible. He is the story of the Bible. He is the Son of God. He is Almighty Father. He is Prince of Peace. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. To everybody else, Jesus is just another good person. But to a believer in Jesus, to a Christian, Jesus is everything. And He's everything because He demonstrated that by rising from the dead. And so, Peter and John had this keen awareness that Jesus was Jesus. I, I, I've heard this story a couple different times in a couple different places. I can't tell you if it's a true story or not. I can only repeat it as maybe an urban legend, maybe truth. But I think it, I think it, it makes the point anyways, okay? Okay. But I heard of a woman who was at a conference and she was leaving her her, her the, the conference area going back to her hotel, and she made a wrong turn and she found herself in a dark alley and there was uh, uh, nobody around. and so she started walking a little faster and when she got halfway through, a man stepped out of the shadows with intent to harm her. And of course she was all alone, she looked behind and around, there was nobody to yell to, nobody to scream to, and she couldn't scream anyways because she had lost all of her ability to even make a noise. And as he approached her, as as she could see the evil in his eyes, all she could mutter was the name, Jesus. Jesus. And the man stopped dropped his weapon, turned and ran just as fast as he could. She looked up, she then looked around and there was nobody there. And She wondered how, why? The man was caught by the police for something else and somehow or another she was able to, to ask the question, why did you run? And his answer was, because I saw the angel behind you." And I don't know if that's true, but I've heard multiple different stories that are just like that. And I would say that the truth of that is this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only name that causes demons to tremble is the name of Jesus. The only name. You can call out any other name, but they're not going to tremble except for the name of Jesus. You say, well, I just don't believe that. That is your prerogative and your right. But I don't know any other name with that kind of power that I've seen in my own life. When we pray for someone to be healed, how do we pray? In the name of Jesus. When we pray for issues that are, that are beyond our ability to, to, to deal with, how do we do that? In the name of Jesus. When we confront evil, how do we do that? In the name of Jesus. They understood that and then because they asked the question, Peter answered the question. Number two, I want you to realize that the way we stand is to recognize that every single position or place we find ourselves in in the midst of persecution is an opportunity for the calling that God has placed on each of our life, and that is for the gospel. If you look at the life of Peter, whenever they were free, they were proclaiming the gospel. Whenever they went to jail, they were proclaiming the gospel. Whenever they were before rulers and authorities and leaders, they were proclaiming the gospel. God moved them from place to place to place, and every place, instead of it being, a, why is this happening to me? It was, a, Lord, you've given me another platform. I'm convinced that in our own life, we should start looking at things more from a platform position than a punishment position. Think about that. You, you, you're sick, and you now have to go through this, this uh, treatment. God, I, I can't believe you let this happen to me. Why? What if we looked at that differently and said, Lord, I would never be in this place had I not been sick? Maybe in this place you have sent me as a messenger of the gospel of hope. Because maybe the other people in this place have no hope. And I'm here as your mouthpiece, as your voice, as your hands. You find yourself in jail, which I hope you don't find yourself in jail unless it's for a gospel thing. But instead of, Lord, how could you let me go to jail? I've been doing your work maybe are thinking like Pauls and Peters and John should be I'm in jail there's a whole other crowd of people that I now can proclaim the gospel to in fact i wonder how that went so they were arrested and they were put in jail overnight right i'm wondering if they, when they were thrown into the slammer Peter and John were here you know they looked at the other people in there they're going to spend the night with one guy over here's like i'm a thug man I killed somebody today. They got me, right? Another guy over here, yeah you think you're bad? Man, I blew up a building today. Well you think you're bad? I stole a camel. Right? What'd you do? Man, I beat somebody almost to death. All these bad people in there. And like, so what about you two? What'd you do? We, we went to church. We preach the gospel. I imagine that's kind of what Bob McCoy's going to do today, right? He'll be in jail and they'll be like, what would you do? I, I went to church. I mean, I, they, they were in this place and in, in the midst of a group of people, if there are people there, they used that as an opportunity for the gospel. The next thing we see in verse 8 is Peter answering the question. By what power did you do this? And then Peter, this is the third thing. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. You can do nothing on your own. You cannot answer the arguments on your own. You do not have enough wisdom. You do not have enough ability to speak. You do not have enough giftedness of words to answer the questions. Filled with the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need. The Bible says, don't worry about giving an answer. When the authorities question you, just be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means that we're walking in Christ Jesus on a daily basis. Filled with the Holy Spirit, He said to them, rulers, elders, the people, if we're being called on account for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and we are asked how He was healed, then know this. Do you see the confidence and the courage? Then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that we that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Let me explain this to you. The stone that the builders rejected, this is a, 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 a found in Psalms, and so... The stone the builders rejected, the builders would be the religious leaders. The religious leaders were supposed to lead people to God, and so they were repeating what was said in Psalms that Jesus, being the stone that was given to build the the kingdom of God, was rejected by the builders. But even though He was rejected, He became the cornerstone. What's a cornerstone? A cornerstone is the first stone that you align everything else by. Have you ever built a patio? Have you, or have you ever taken bricks and built a, a pavement or anything? Have you ever laid tile? Oh, I shudder thinking about that. What is the most important thing to do when doing any of these projects? Lay it out and make sure your first piece is right. If your first piece isn't right, everything else is off. Because you take measurements from that first piece, right? Jesus is that first piece. Or is He in your life? Is He the first piece or is He just another piece? Is faith just something else added to the mix? Or is your faith in Jesus Christ the single most important part of your life? You know what I think happening in America today amongst the church? I think the church is being being forced to either make Jesus fully Lord or to get out of the church business altogether. I think there is a refining and a pruning that is going on and that is, that is going to get even more difficult where God is saying, look, get in or get out, but don't stay in the middle. In Revelation chapter 3, He speaks to the churches and He says, look, I have this against you. You are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. You want to know what? Nobody orders lukewarm coffee. They either get an iced coffee or they get a hot coffee. You never see a a sign at a coffee shop, hot, cold, lukewarm. It's not even an option. Why? Because nobody wants lukewarm. And God says to the churches, He said, look, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. Therefore, I'm going to do what? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so, the capstone means... That everything, I will build my life upon your throne. It is a firm... did we just sing that? And then a verse that is the verse that gets believers in trouble. This verse 12 is the problem, folks. You ready? This is the problem. For salvation is found... In no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is is the problem with Christianity. Christians believe in the exclusivity of the gospel. We believe that the Scripture is true. Listen to what the Scripture says: salvation is found in who? No one else. Do you know that if you are Muslim, you have no problems in this country? I say, no, you have very few problems. Uh, At least the persecution from from governments is is non-existent. If you're Hindu, okay, no problem. If you're Hare Krishna, if you're Jehovah's or whatever. But the moment you start to claim the name of Jesus, that's when the issue arises. Why? Because Jesus is offensive. Now, let's not, let's not make a mistake here. We're, we don't ever try to offend people. I mean, we shouldn't be boneheads, right? I mean, and, and let me just vent a little bit. Some of the things Christians do in the name of Christ Jesus, my goodness, people, just stop, you know? You know what I mean? I mean, am I the only one that sees this and I, and I just bare my head and go, golly, just don't talk about Jesus. Just don't, just don't. I'm not talking about that kind of offensive. I'm talking about a humble, gentle, kind follower of Jesus being persecuted and suffering because of Jesus. That kind of person is who I'm talking about. That kind of person, by definition, is offensive because of Jesus. Because you know what? Jesus requires... All. It's called the Lordship of Christ. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Our gospel is an exclusive gospel, but it's open to all. It's exclusive only in the fact that there's only one way. But that one way is a door that is open to all who will call upon the name of Jesus. You can, uh, you can preach any name you want, but Muhammad doesn't save. Joseph Smith doesn't save. The two million plus Hindu gods don't save. The Earth, Mother Earth God doesn't save. but the name of Jesus, name of Jesus saves. So I would invite you today to run underneath or in between the legs of the Father, and with courage and boldness proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't, don't do it offensively for the sake of being offensive, but do it courageously for the sake of people knowing God and being entered into His family. Amen? Hey man, does that make sense? You're about to start school. Some of some of you, you're about to. Um, well, for those of us who work, we've been going to work, but you're you're in a position every single day to demonstrate the goodness of God. Do you? When people um, when people persecute you because of the gospel what will your response be I didn't say this earlier it fit with the text and I and I kind of moved forward it for time but I'm going to go back and share in just a moment Peter and John understand stood a principle they knew that they could fight for their rights as a citizen or the, or they could fight uh, from a spiritual perspective In other words I don't know where the line is for us between our rights as an American, our freedoms, and our calling to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes that line to me is blurred. Does that make sense? Here's what I think that we maybe do too much sometimes. I think sometimes we're too worried about keeping our rights that we forget about proclaiming our Lord. Paul said it best, he said, I became all things to all men, so that in some way I might win some. He said, look, this course talking to believers, but he said, look, I will let my rights be trampled if by trampling of my rights I have an ability to proclaim the gospel. It's a paraphrase, but that's what he said. So we can't spend too much time trying to correct a system... We shouldn't ignore it, but we can't spend too much time trying to correct a system that is not ever going to be corrected. How do we know? Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. If they hated me, they're going to hate you even more. And if we burn all of our ammo trying to correct a system, then we're going to have nothing left for the gospel. And that is what is important. Does that make sense? I'm not saying don't be engaged in the system. Yeah, you should be to a degree. I can't tell you where your line is, you can't tell me where mine is. I'm just saying there is a line that at some point you got to realize the system is the system. What they're realizing in California is that even though the system is there, it ain't working. At some point they had to say, we respect our authorities, which you should, but we must obey God rather than men. At some point, you're going to have to decide to follow the law or to follow Jesus. I pray that you'll follow Jesus. Pray that I'll follow Jesus. That's kind of where we are. Do you ever think you'd see this day? You know what though? God is doing to us exactly what He did to the first century church. In first century church, He said to them, go make disciples of all nations. And they said, whew, we really like it in Jerusalem. This is awesome. And God said, no, no, I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they go, but Jerusalem is cool. Look how many Christians we have here. We're building a big, 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 cool church. And God says, okay. I tried to tell you and I tried to ask you. Now I'm going to give you a little incentive. And He sent persecution to the church. And the church was scattered under threat of death. They went all throughout the earth now proclaiming the gospel. They should have done it willingly, but instead God said, Okay, since you won't just go because I told you to, I'm going to help you go by sending persecution. And you will be scattered. And I will be with you always. This morning I ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Him? Do you know for sure that if you were to die right now, that you would spend eternity with God? How you do that is not by just being better. It's not by being good. It's not by going to church. It's not by doing anything that that might help you along the way. The way to know God, the way to have your sin forgiven, is to totally trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For God so loved the world. You can insert your name there. He loved the world that if you will believe in Him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise from God. And that promise right this moment is offered to you. I want to invite you to trust Him. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? If you're in this place and you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is the name above every other name. Will you just say to Him now, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you because of sin, but I trust you. I give you my life and I ask you to save me. Thank you for saving me. Help me to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name.